open to Romans chapter 12. Uh, we're actually just going to work through two verses tonight in our brief time that we have left. We, we are doing this month a series called Orientation. So some of you are getting ready to start college, and you're going to go through or have gone through something called Orientation. And this is, Orientation is a moment where uh, you'll sit in a big room with a bunch of other people who are getting ready to start something, and they'll say, look, if you want to know all the rules to the road or how this is supposed to work out, how you're supposed to kind of navigate this next season of your life, this is everything that you need to know. Orientation also has a different kind of meaning, too. It, orientation is how do I align things so that I step in or walk in or go the right way that I'm supposed to be going. So, like, the opposite of that would be to be disoriented. How many of you, you get lost easily? Like, if it wasn't for maps or wasn't for GPS, you would just, you, you'd be lost somewhere. We, like, we never know where you are because you'd literally be lost, right? So, um, but orientation helps us to navigate or kind of find our way. And so this, this next month, what we want to do is we want to take three weeks, and at least on a very fundamental level, we want to be able to give you some principles, some biblical principles that if you use them can, can guide you in this next season of your life in a very life-giving, spiritually healthy way. So if you're, a, if you're a Christian in a room, and I realize that not everybody is, and that's totally fine. Um, we, we love that you're here with us. Or, but if you are a Jesus follower, um, you are hopefully wanting to live your life according to, to God's will. So anybody ever wrestle through that? Like, I'm trying to figure out what God's will is. You say that. Maybe somebody's tried to say that. Like, what's God's will for your life? You're like, man, I have no idea. I've got 85 cents in my bank account. I've no, hopefully it's his will is for me to have a little bit more money. Um, and, and, and it can seem very kind of like this elusive, confusing thing. Um, and, but, but for most of us, for most of us Christians, we, we typically consider God's will for us when we make a decision. So, you know, like, where do I go to school? Or, or should I move away? Should I go to another state? Or, or who do I date? Or who do I marry? Or what job should I take? Or should I take this promotion? Should I not take this promotion? Right? And, and sometimes God make the, he makes all that stuff super clear, right? Like, all the other options are eliminated. And you're like, okay, life's easy with no options. So that must be the will of God. That's it. That's right there. It's just kind of narrowed down, right? She's the only person to say yes to me out of 34 people that I've asked on a date. So God's will is for me to go on a date with with her. But other times, it's not very clear at all. Like, there are multiple things, multiple options that say, like, okay, I got a job offer in Seattle. I got a job offer in San Francisco. I got a job offer in Phoenix. Like, right there, and they're all great jobs. And which one do I take? What is the will of God? Um, there, there was a, a pastor once, or a preacher who I heard once, he said, God's will is whatever. Um, and what he meant by that, meaning whatever it is that you do, or whatever it is that you go, you do all the absolute best that you can, which is the, the mandate that God gives his, uh, that God gives humans uh, in the in the book of Genesis to go and, and to cultivate, to to recreate, and to and, and to be creative in whatever endeavor your hand finds to do. Just do the absolute best job that you can with what you have been given, uh, and you do that for the for the fame of of, of Jesus. So there's this specific will of God, meaning that God is very clear about some things, like don't murder. Murder is bad. God is very against murder, right? And he's, and he's for some other things. So, so like love the poor, love the oppressed. That, that's very, very clear. That's a very specific will of God. Then there's this kind of general will of God, and Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 12, where we are now. We're going to put this text on the screen for you there. And Paul says this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in response or in view of or in light of everything that we have in Jesus, 
offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. And then he says this, don't conform to the pattern of this world. And we're going to break this verse two. We're going to break this down to kind of help us out tonight. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me, let me stop just real quick, pray, ask God just to help us tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how incredibly relevant it is to us. God, I thank you for even more than that, God, it gives us life. God, it sustains us. It satisfies us. God, it, it, it's nourishment to us. God, it leads us. It guides us. Uh, and so, God, tonight we um, cling only to your word. And Holy Spirit, would you illuminate it, make it come alive to us. God, you know exactly what we need to hear from you. So would you speak louder than anything else tonight? Jesus, I love you, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. So, if you, if you take that verse and you think about it this way, that there are, are certain things that God clearly wants us to do. And we see in the scriptures there's, there's a way that God clearly wants us to do that. And there's a way that God clearly wants us to be. And, 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 and that's what I want us to look at tonight. And even if you're not a Christian, you're not a Jesus follower, you're not a church person, you, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you still have some kind of preferred purpose in your life that you are interested in determining. Like you, you, you still have some kind of destiny, like you want to feel like you're moving towards. You still, regardless, everybody here in the room, you still want to feel like, yeah, I'm moving at least in the right direction, or at least I'm like on the right path. And I, and I want to lay out for you a decision that you can make um, that will help you orient around the purposes that God, that your creator has for you. And the word that we're going to look at tonight is this word identity. Now, identity is, is critical. Identity is very important. And, and we've seen this even in, our own, even in our own culture, right? So there's a story in the news of a woman who is born to two Caucasian parents, but she identified herself as an African-American, right? In our culture, we know, we hear these stories. There's, there's people who are born a certain gender, but they identify with another gender later in life, and it raises questions. It raises all kinds of questions for them. Questions like, okay, which bathroom do I use, right? There's this, the, the city of Houston actually had to take a vote about that. So this, uh, this idea of identity, it's important to us as individuals. It's important in our culture as, as well. Now, identity is different than identification, right? Identification is what you need to get into the club or to buy Sudafed at Walgreens, right? But I, I, identification is how other people identify you. Identity is how you identify yourself. I, identity is what you think about you. It's about what informs you. It's the conversation that you have with yourself all day long, right? Just me? Okay, that's fine. Like the the who are you? Who are you? Who are you really? So what forms our identity? What makes up our identity? There's, there, there's things um, that contribute to that, like the family that you were born into, right? But, it, but it's got to be more than that because the identity that you had when you were 12 years old is hopefully a lot different than the identity that you have now. And that happens. Identity can form and take shape over the course of a lifetime. But one of the things, one of the things that forms our identity are events in our lives, the events that, and that take place in our lives. Now, it's kind of a simple way to think about this, um, but all of us have events in, that in some way begin to form our identity. And, and I, I, to help us kind of understand this, I'm, I'm going to have you participate in just a minute 
around something around your table, um, uh, and I want you to take about 30 seconds around your tables, um, and, and if you're an extrovert, this is the moment you've been waiting for the whole time, right? Yes, finally, I get to talk to more people, right? If you're an introvert, this, this is probably bumming you out. Um, here's the thing. If you're an introvert and you go to church and somebody asks you to participate, if you just kind of put your head down and close your eyes, they're just going to be like, they're praying. That's a, like a godly person right there. I'm not going to mess with them. That's just like a little trick to get out of participating there. Um, but, but here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to kind of offer up one event in your life, and it could be just something as simple as like, I was in a car accident when I was 16, you know, but, but, or, could, or you could go on a little bit longer. But one event in your life that has shaped your identity. I'm going to give you an example from my own life just so you can kind of um, track with what, what I'm asking you to do. When, when I was in high school, I was a junior in high school, uh, and I went to Countryside High, and our, um, our mascot was the Cougar. We were the Cougars. Um, cougars meant something different in 1995 than they do today, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, and they had this contest called the Mr. Cougar Contest. And so, yeah, yeah. So, so naturally, I was in the Mr. Cougar Contest. And uh, it was really lame. But the whole school went to it. I mean, it was like packed auditorium. Uh, and they would have things like, uh, like a talent contest, like a talent portion, which I had no talent. Um, but I had written like a poem about all the faculty that were judges. And I had a guitar. I couldn't play the guitar, but I, could, I knew one chord. And so I would read a line from the poem, and then I'd strum the guitar. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of like a song. Uh, and then they had a school spirit thing. And I, uh, I think I spray painted my hair. There was hair at the time. Um, <laughs> And, but what won me the contest was uh, they asked me at the very end, why do you want to be Mr. Cougar? And I just looked at the crowd and I said, because I can't be Mrs. Cougar. Um, <laughs> and so I, I won the thing, and it was like just a highlight. Um, sounds like it's still a highlight of my life. But, um, and they, ma- they had this sash, like this is really lame. But they had this big sash that said Mr. Cougar, and I wore it around school for a few days, uh, and, I, and I was Mr. Cougar, uh, and so that was kind of, that was a real, like, identity-shaping event for me, um, in a silly way, like, to be Mr. Cougar, but in a, but in a deeper way, really, um, my identity, like, what that event taught me was that my identity was if you say things that make people laugh, they're gonna, they'll like you, they'll approve of you. And so that kind of started something in me where I was always trying to say provocative things or always trying to say things because I was really wanting people to approve of or ac- ac- accept me. So you, you, you start to see like how these events in our life start to kind of shape our identity. I wanted to, the identity of the guy who was funny or the guy who said clever things. So um, thank God I'm over that. But so here's what I want you to do. In the next kind of just 30, 45 seconds, just around your table, maybe you just kind of talk to the person who's right across from you and just share an event from your life that you feel like has shaped your identity up to this point. So let's just do that real quick.
Okay, sounds like there's some pretty incredible events happening there. So I realize you probably didn't get to share your whole story, but now you can say, hey man, let's go grab a taco after 710. I can tell you the rest of my really super interesting story that you can't wait to hear the end of. Now, with all of these events in all of our lives, we, 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 we naturally think that these uh, events determine our identity. But let me, let me ask you something about these events. So are these events, um, are they negative or are they, are they positive? Because some, sometimes they're, they're both. And, and, and sometimes they can be neither. The reality is these events are, are kind of neutral. If I, if I take um, some insight from this incredibly thought-provoking movie, uh, Kung Fu Panda, um, <laughs> There's a moment where uh, the panda goes to Master Uguay. I forget his name. Who knows his name? Panda. Poe. That's right. Uh, and, he, and he says, he says, I have bad news. And Master Uguay says, uh, there is no such thing as bad news. There is only news. Right? And what, what he's saying there, it's all about the way that you respond to this, this news. It's all the way about the way that you respond to these events. Because there's something in between the event that, that happens and uh, the identity that's formed, and, it, and, and the word is belief. What you believe about what happened is going to ultimately shape your identity. The, the event doesn't necessarily shape your identity, but how you process it, how you think about yourself because of what happened, that's what shapes your identity. And again, identity is so important because in our lives, outcomes happen because of the decisions we make, and the decisions that we make are because of how or who we see ourselves to be. And the reason that this is so important, especially for the Christian, for the Jesus follower, and especially for those of you in the room who are getting ready to enter into a next season in your life, is that you cannot experience the freedom and the purpose in life and the life that God has for you until you determine who you are. And you, ca you can't know who God intends for you to be if you don't know who you are in him. And that's why Paul is writing this. He says, look, brothers I'm, and sisters, I'm urging you. In this, in, in our faith, in Christianity, what often happens is we think, well, okay, well, I became a Christian, so now everything should, should just change. And in a sense, it does. In a sense, it does. You go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That's a massive change. But in another sense, it doesn't. Because there's still these kind of habits and behaviors and attitudes and problems and identity issues that still show up. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And we, we, we do. We, we know that we are a new creation. But, but, but where we get bogged down is we think it's going to happen overnight. Like maybe you, you had a summer camp experience or maybe you went to a 710 retreat or you had some other kind of mountaintop experience with God, Right? And you're like, just come back down. You're like, oh, that was so amazing. I'm like a new person. God's changed everything. And then you have a moment of temptation, yet, and, and you fail, or you have some other kind of moment of like failure, and, and, and you, you have to put that kind of who you are in Christ or that awareness of who you are in Christ to the test, and, and, and you fail, and you think, man, what in the world? Did it, did it not take? Did something not work? And what we don't realize is that, no, it's a process. It takes a long time for us to walk in and walk out of and live out of that reality. And Paul talks about this process in, in verse 2. He says, look, don't conform to the pattern of this world. And what he's saying is there is a pattern in the world, and the pattern is that we respond a certain way to events, and we form beliefs about ourselves, others, and the world around us in that event. So one more kind of illustration from my life. When, when I was in high school, and this is probably why Mr. Cougar meant so much to me, uh, when I was in high school, 
my dad had just started a, a, a new business, and we just did not have a lot. And I went to a really affluent high school. Everybody else seemed to have a ton, and I had, like, nothing. Um, and uh, they had, uh, like, a discounted lunch thing in our school, and I think they still have that today where you can get, like, reduced. You don't pay as much for lunch as everybody else. But the way that they did it then, and I, I really hope they don't do it now, is that they actually had a line for all the kids who were getting discounted lunch, and then a line for all the other kids that were just that didn't need the discounted lunch, that weren't like the low-income kids, uh, like I was. And I just remember, as a as a high school freshman, um, brand new to this high school, moved in from another town, didn't really know anybody. And first day, first lunch, I'm in the discounted. I mean, like I am clearly other than everybody else at school. I mean, there's very few of us at this particular school. Uh, it was mostly just me and the minorities, which is there's 3% in this school. So you're kind of figuring this out. Um, and, and I just remember like the comments, cause that's what high school kids do to each other. I just remember like uh, this kind of stigma feeling. I just remember like being a complete and total just outsider. Uh, and, and what I did is I, I, I made a belief about that moment. I made, a, I made a meaning about myself in that. And, and the belief and the meaning and the identity they had created, um, were, maybe you've done this before, but, but the, um, uh, my life is embarrassing. That was a belief that was formed in that moment. Um, I, I don't have enough. Uh, I'm not enough. These were all things that I, you know, believe. Now that I look back, I unpacked. Of course, I didn't know this. Like I couldn't articulate it then as a high school freshman. Um, but what I did is I lit. I started to live out of that identity. So if my current life, if my current reality is embarrassing, if I don't have enough, if I'm not enough, uh, well, I, I, I need to manipulate that some way. And so I started to just lie, or I lied about my life, lied about like where I lived and what was from, who my parents were, and what what my life was all about. And I, I I coveted like crazy. Everybody else around me had way more uh, than I did, and so I, I coveted what they had. And I would, it was just a really kind of ugly existence, to be quite honest, um, but it was because of this event, I formed a belief, and that belief informed my I identity. Social media, this is how social media works off of this principle, um, that, that we live for favorable responses to life events or behaviors or activity or attitudes, and, that sh and we shape our identity around that approval or around that disapproval, right? This is why people become famous for absolutely nothing other than becoming famous. It's also why other people take very dark and dangerous turns in their life because they get disapproval um, when, when they crave uh, uh, approval. Paul teaches us right here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, look, there is a way out of that pattern. The pattern is very common. It's something that we all do, it's a, and it's incredibly dangerous. And Paul says, if you want to get out of that pattern, don't be conformed to it, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and that word mind is, is extremely important because that's where, the, that's where it starts. That's, that's where it starts. It doesn't start outside of us. It starts inside of us, in our, in our minds. So be transformed. It's an extremely hopeful word. Be transformed. There's, there's hope for, for change. It means that whatever identity has been formed in you, you have the opportunity to reform. Let me just say that again. Whatever identity has been formed in you, you have the opportunity to reform. You can reform what's already been formed in you, Christian, through Jesus. Some of, some of us, we, we carry these unhealthy behaviors, patterns, ideas, attitudes, because they were handed down to you through your family or environment or events in your life. And Paul's saying, look, those things can be reformed. You don't have to be what has happened to you. Some of you have been in some relationships that have failed. Some of, some of you, um, 
have, have been victims to re- relationships that have failed. You can be reformed. You don't have to be who has dated you or who hasn't, date, who hasn't dated you. You don't have to be um, who you've been said to be. You have the opportunity to be transformed, Paul is saying, to reform what's already been formed in you. And it happens through the process of renewing your mind. And renewing is two things. The first thing is renewing is replacing. Renewing is replacing. Renewing is taking statements that you've believed about yourself. So uh, I'll use me again for example. Um, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I, I, I'm not enough. And, and, and it could be any kind of I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not this. And that one doesn't apply to me, but the other ones might, right? So like I'm just, I'm not enough, what, whatever that is. And you're replacing it with a more true statement about yourself, Right? So replacing is key to renewing, and here's why. Have you ever tried to, like, just stop thinking about something you're worried about? Like, you're, you're anxious about something, you're fearful about something, you're worried about something, you're just like, okay, I'm just going to stop thinking about it, right? It's impossible, right? It's like trying to fall asleep, and you're like, I know I have to fall asleep, I know I have to fall asleep, I know I have to fall asleep, right? You, you can't just get rid of an idea by just simply thinking about it. Renewing your mind is extracting a thought that is unhealthy, that is false, that is destructive, and replacing it with a truth that is healthy, life-giving, and from God, and that is found in the scriptures. If you want to know what God says about you, and what God says about himself, and what God says about your life, you can only find it in the scriptures. It's answering the question, okay, according to God, what is true about me? What is true about me? So the first thing, the way that you renew your mind is by replacing. You take statements that are false, replace them with what is true. The second is about ranking. Renewing is about ranking. There are things in your mind that you believe about yourself that are the most true things about you. You believe, there are things in your mind that you believe about yourself and, and and you have them ranked. Like, these are the most true things about me. And what, what Paul is trying to take us to in the scriptures is that what God says about you is what's most true about you. What's most true about you is not the meaning that you've made from an event in your life, not a belief that you've made about yourself from some event in your life, good, bad, or ugly. But what's most true about you is what your creator says about you. And and what I believe, and the reason that we're doing this series, is that what is most true about you, and what is most true about God, and what is most true about life, is what you should orient your life around. It should be the North Star that you navigate your life by. I find significance, purpose, contentment when I live out what is most true about me, and what is most true about me is what God says about me. And if you can orient in your life around the truth of who you are in Christ, it will impact every part of your life. If you can orient your life about the truth of what God says about you, in in your vocation, in your job, in in your relationships, in in what you own, in the stuff that you have, if you can orient all of those things around the truth of what God says about you, it'll change all those things. It'll transform those things. Don't try to find your identity in those things. Don't try to find your identity in your job. Don't try to find your identity in your relationships. Don't try to find your identity in your stuff or in your accomplishments. Bring your God-given identity into those things. Because when we begin to let that truth translate into our identity, things begin to change. We walk into what God has for us. 
I, I want to close tonight by, by giving you um, a list of things that are true about you if you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, Connor Connor's going to come up right now, um, and he's going to actually lead us out in a song to kind of close and hopefully put, kind of puts like an exclamation point on, uh, on what we're doing here. But, uh, but I, I, w- I want to read this list to you. But before I do, I, g- I have just one last story. Um, last week, I, I've got three kids. They're uh, eight, seven, and uh, five. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> Father of the year. Um, and uh, last week, I came home from work. It's 118 degrees outside, and they're like, Daddy, we want to go on a bike ride. Of course you do. So um, so we all go out there on the bikes, and we kind of head out of the garage and turn down to the sidewalk. Uh, and my middle daughter, Vera, just, like, completely breaks down. She's really struggling, kind of. She's, like, kind of learning to ride a bike anyway. Training wheels are off now, so it's freaking her out quite a bit. Uh, and so she just says, Daddy, I can't. I just can't. She starts to kind of cry, well up a little bit. Um, and I look at her and, you know, the other kids, and I'm like, please, God, don't let them get hit by a car. And they're just, they're all kind of doing their thing. And so I stop. I kind of go back to where she's at. And she's like, she's, she's walking her bike. And I was like, baby, it's not a bike walk. It's a bike ride. You got to ride it. That's, the bike is designed for you to, to, to ride it, um, and she just keeps saying, she's like, I, you know, I, I, I can't, and what, and here's the thing, that here's, here's what I didn't really consider in the moment, but thought about afterwards. The fear that she felt about riding a bike is a very real fear, because the reality is Vera has fallen. She's crashed her bike. She's fallen down, and she's gotten, she's gotten hurt. So in her life, it's a very real fact that she's crashed her bike and that, she, and that it has hurt her. And so there are events in her life, i.e. bike crashes, that have told her, that have informed her that she can't ride a bike. Now, if my daughter lets the events of her past define her identity, she will believe for the rest of her life that she can't ride a bike. So how do you convince yourself that you can do something that you've never experienced in the past? When my kids say that they can't do something, that I know that they can, I have to remind them of what is true. So here's the thing. My kids have to believe what their dad says about them. And when they do, They will step into a reality they have yet to discover, but I know it's true about them. And even though there's fear and worry and anxiety in my daughter over riding this bike, because she's fallen in the past, because she's been hurt in the past, there will come a day where she will believe what I'm saying. And she'll ride a bike the way that it was intended to be ridden. So here's what I'm saying. And here's how this applies to all all of us, myself included. If it has been fear or anxiety or worry or the constant rewind of past failure, struggle, or sin against you that's holding you back from walking in obedience and and walking in, in what God has laid out for you, It could be past failures, it could be past events, it could be past experiences. And if you're letting that inform you as to who you are, it could be that that tonight is the moment that you will orient your life, that you will navigate your life around what your heavenly Father says about you. 
because that is worth far more than anything else that anyone else has ever said about you. So I want to I give you a list of things that your Heavenly Father says about His kids. And now, um, we're not always a super expressive group in here around the preaching time. I totally get it. But I want to invite you to that. I want to free you up for that. If there's any of these things that I read that you kind of connect with um, in whatever way just feels right to you. I already know my man Eddie back there is going to clap through all of them. So I'm... I'm I'm thankful for that. And if it's just me talking and Eddie clapping, that's cool. I'm all right with that. Um, But if there's any of these statements, just the statements of truth over your life that maybe you believe and you hold on to as an anchor, or maybe there are things that you're like, God, I so want that to be true in my life. You can let out a all right, you can let out a right on, an amen if you're still in that tradition. You can yell out a yes, you know, whatever it is that you want to connect to. I'm just going to read these, and then Connor and Eli are going to lead us in the song to, to, uh, to, to end. And I hope that you'll believe um, that what your Father says about you is what is most true about you. If you are, if you're a child of God, um, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian, these statements are true about you tonight. I belong to God. I am chosen by God. I am a new creation in Him. I am forgiven by Him. I am included in His purposes and in His plans. I am secure in Him. That gets a, that gets a right on for me too, man. Um, I am complete in him. I am not alone. I am deeply loved and prized by majesty exactly as I am, not as I should be or one day will be. I am set free. I cannot be separated from the love of my Father. And I can approach God with boldness and freedom and confidence. I have been made complete in Jesus. And I am a child of God. Let's, uh, let's sing this song as a prayer of confession and as an anchor to what God has said over us. Let's stand and sing together. But he brought me in all his love for me All his love for me Whom the sun sets free All is free indeed I'm a child of God Yes, Save to save.
So why don't you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, God, you are so much better.
God, than we could ever comprehend. Father, your thoughts are above our thoughts. God, your love is greater than our love, Father. Um, God, you, you call us a chosen people. God, your precious possession. God, you say that you keep our inheritance in your hands and that you hold it for us through faith, God, and that you protect us and that you're with us, God. God, we love you so much. And just the truth, God, that your family is our identity is enough for us. So Jesus, we pray and we thank you in your name. Amen. Amen.